Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast with Amy Wheeler. I've had the good fortune to travel the world learning about yoga therapy on a global scale. And I've been able to meet many of the leaders in the field along the way. I want to share with you what I'm learning as I interview our colleagues from around the world. My hope is that together we can reduce suffering of all sentient beings through our work as yoga teachers and yoga therapists. Hi, this is Amy Wheeler with the Yoga Therapy Hour. And today my guest is Christine Weber, who has a master's degree. She's a certified yoga therapist. She teaches yoga teachers all over the world. And she's been studying holistic healing for about 30 years and teaching yoga teachers how to become better yoga teachers since 2003. And she has started this thing called the Subtle Yoga Teacher Training for Behavioral Health Professionals. She's out of Asheville, North Carolina. And it was really interesting because I had thought that we were going to talk about COVID long hauler syndrome. And I was all ready and prepared with my information on heart rate variability. And the conversation just went in a completely different direction, almost like a a weird futuristic direction and, and really talking about what does it mean to be human and how do human beings operate? How do we become healthy, happy, and whole? And, and how is that vision of being human connecting or not connecting with our current healthcare system? And I think this does tie into COVID-19 and long hauler syndrome because there's so many places in our current healthcare system that when we have a disease or a pathology or symptoms that can't be put into a box and we can't find a pill for them, like fibromyalgia, like COVID long hauler syndrome, like chronic fatigue syndrome, a lot of this dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system and the the resultant manifestations throughout the body and mind of that, this is an area where healthcare doesn't exactly know what to do, allopathic healthcare, I should say, because the diagnosis is hard to do, the causal factors are hard to figure out, even the, the therapeutic treatment plans are very, very difficult to figure out. And I think our, our healthcare system actually isn't well equipped to look at different disease pathologies that are showing up in all these multiple areas simultaneously. So with COVID long hauler syndrome, things that we see people are having three to six months after they've been infected with COVID are things like brain fog, memory loss, fatigue, headaches, feeling dizzy, digestive problems, shortness of breath. You know, if we look at that from an allopathic medicine picture, we'd have the GI doctor and we'd have the the memory doctor and then we'd have the, you know, the headache doctor and 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 maybe none of them would talk to one another. So when we have strange symptoms like this that are showing up on multiple layers of the human system, that's where things like yoga therapy can really, really be effective because we are masters of the autonomic 
nervous system and knowing how to help people become more aware of what's going on in their autonomic nervous system and see the refined symptoms of when things start to get off, helping people understand that they have control over their autonomic nervous system to some degree, especially through breath work and and what we call pranayama. And then also understanding that we can kind of reset the autonomic nervous system. And modern science is actually on board with this. We're, we're having this whole new thing called heart rate variability, which is looking at the consistency of the heartbeat. And when we're in sympathetic nervous system, our heart rate is a little higher, but it's very consistent because it knows there's a threat. Boom, 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 boom. Unfortunately, if we stay in that high heart rate, high blood pressure, kind of arousal state, what we call the sympathetic nervous system is in high gear, that actually is bad for us. That causes a cascade of debilitating effects over time in all these different systems of the body from the endocrine system to the digestive system to how the brain functions. And so, you know, basically what science is saying is, look, if your heart rate variability is stuck in sympathetic and it's just going, 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 we would have low heart rate variability if it's very consistent and stuck in the, in the high gear, that's actually going to have bad long-term effects. What we're looking for is a nervous system that can go in and out of sympathetic high gear and then relax, go into parasympathetic and then go up again and come back down. So it's able to be more dynamic and that heart rate variability, if it's really high, there will not be that consistent heart rate. There'll be variability between the heart rates because it's going up and down and it's responding to the threat. And then it's relaxing afterwards and saying, oh, we're good. It's all cool. And and what we're seeing in things like COVID long hauler syndrome, what we're seeing in fibromyalgia, a lot of the autoimmune diseases, things like POTS is that we never get out of that sympathetic state and our heart rate variability stays very, very low. And so this is where yoga therapy and Western or modern healthcare can really come together. And I think, see that we have something very unique and very special to offer. And that is that we are as yoga therapists, the masters of things like heart rate variability, autonomic nervous system functioning, in a very appropriate way for the, the demands and really understanding how self-care plays into that, right? So I guess I just want to say that even though this talk with Christine went in a very different direction than talking specifically about COVID long hauler, it actually does come around to this idea that if we're going to help people heal themselves from the inside out from diseases like COVID long hauler, the healthcare system is going to eventually have to come around to the fact that we as yoga therapists have something very unique. We have lifestyle changes that can be made to help the nervous system. It's not just health coaching, right? It's something where we can teach people 
how can you behave in your family, your colleagues, your workplace so that you don't get so dysregulated in your nervous system and get stuck and sympathetic? What are the personal disciplines that you can establish in your life? What are the social disciplines that you can establish in your life? What are the yoga postures that help you either bring yourself up or get yourself back down so you can be more dynamic? What are the breathing exercises that can dial up the nervous system or dial down the nervous system? What are the meditation activities that can help us have more awareness and the ability to shift? You know, these are all the things we teach in the optimal state yoga therapy training. We're very much into taking those ancient teachings from the ancient texts and really bringing them together with neuroscience to show how yoga therapy specifically can really regulate the nervous system and create better health for people, both in terms of mental health, but also physical health. Because we know that when the nervous system is really turned on in the sympathetic state, it does impact the digestive system. It does impact the endocrine system. It does impact the cardiovascular system. And so Again, this was a very interesting talk. It's almost futuristic in looking at how we as yoga teachers, yoga practitioners, yoga therapists can enter into the healthcare system through the door of neuroscience, through the door of heart rate variability, through the door of balancing the autonomic nervous system. But also this talk is futuristic because it looks at, well, what is the healthcare system going to do when the healthcare workers can't continue to function in the way they have. What happens when our healthcare system does get overrun by COVID patients? You know, what is not working? And how can we as yoga therapists be on the cutting edge for helping healthcare to understand what it is we offer and that it's exactly what they need? So I hope you enjoyed this talk as much as I did. I was kind of just following Christine through the ether. She's a very expansive thinker and it, it's almost timeless to take these ancient teachings and bring them into the future and, and what may happen. So I wish you luck in listening to this. It was fascinating to me. And we will do a whole nother episode on specifically COVID long haulers in the future. Welcome, Christine. We're so happy you're joining us today for this really interesting conversation that I think we need to have in the yoga community, the yoga therapy community, all about COVID long hauler syndrome. And Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. So many months ago, you had seen that IAYT was doing a bunch of seminars on COVID long hauler. And I think at that time, right. Give Back Yoga was. So I was aware that this was a topic that you were really interested in. And I can see how beautifully it combines with your interest in neuroscience and the nervous system. So where do you want to start today? What, how shall we start this conversation? Well, about I hope we can talk on a few other things too, because I'm definitely interested in COVID long haul, but I think the way my 
mind has been going these days, and really it's kind of more of the culmination of training folks for 20 years, is, is in that direction of the, the veils of illusion that have been lifted during COVID. Like that's what I'm interested in. And I'm interested in how that will inform not only our perspective on yoga and yoga therapy and how that will be interwoven into treatment, prevention, uh, health promotion, you know, the different areas of healthcare, not only that, but also how it can start to dismantle, maybe not dismantle, but reorganize. There is a little dismantling the healthcare system in general, right? So that's what I'm, I've been interested in like, the healthcare system in general for many, many years. I've been writing about it for a long time. And I think yoga philosophy gives us some really important tools for how we can look differently at who we are as human beings and how we heal. So like, I'm, I'm really interested in those big picture questions. I'm very, very grateful for the folks at IAYT. And I think there's some people in other organ, you know, involved in other organizations that are are working with the COVID long haul stuff directly. Like I'm not working with it directly, although I certainly have students who have um, approached me and talked to me about it, but I'm not doing like direct yoga therapy with folks. I'm, I'm much more interested in the advocacy role. That's just where my work has taken me over these years, I guess. Yeah. So I want to talk yeah. about that as much as talking Great. about long haul. Yeah. Yeah. I think Heather Mason in the UK is also doing a lot of good stuff around this area too. And I think what I hear you saying is that, look, COVID is here. There are gaps in our healthcare system. A lot of things like POTS, autoimmune disease. There's certain things that our healthcare system has no idea what to do with, is throwing their hands up, um, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, these types of things that all have to do with this neuroendocrine link that yoga therapy does such a beautiful job in helping us to stabilize and balance and get back into the flow. And now COVID long hauler is another one of those things. There's a gap and it just so happens that what we do from our mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical being, we know how to work with that. And so what I hear you saying is like, this is actually an opportunity for us to get in and show the healthcare system that we have something that maybe they don't know what to do with and we could be of service. Is that kind of what you're saying? I think that's a big piece of it. What you're saying is super important as far as, if I can just reflect that back to you, because I think what you're saying is like, okay, we have all these mysterious diseases. I would even lump the non-mysterious diseases into your equation. I'd put <laughs> diabetes and heart disease and some cancers. I'd put all that in that pot too, which is 90% of where the $3.6 trillion that we spend on healthcare every year goes to those chronic diseases. So I don't even think it's just POTS and, and chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and autoimmune. I, that all, all that stuff is rampant and growing. And then COVID adds another, another bit to it. I think, I think it's all the chronic diseases that yoga therapy has so much to offer because we are experts in the regulation of the autonomic nervous system. And right. uh, there's no doctors that can do what we do. I mean, it's just the reality of it. They, they can't, they don't, they're not trained. They don't understand. Uh, and so I think yoga, I think well-trained yoga professionals, yoga therapists, if possible, well-trained yoga professionals have a skill set that is probably the best kept secret out there in terms of healthcare, you know? So I totally agree with you on that. 
And what I want to say, in addition to that, like this bigger picture, this paradigm shift, epistemological shift, if you like, that part, I think, is what's even more exciting, which is like these veils of illusion are being ripped away about why, why doesn't our healthcare system work? It's not just because people are greedy and the insurance company, all that stuff is a problem, the insurance and the pharmaceutical companies and how we're driven by this mental health condition of greed, which is an evolutionary condition. It kept us alive, but it's not who we are as human beings. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a remnants of our evolutionary past, you know? So, so that piece of it, of why the healthcare system is so dysfunctional is largely because our models of what it means to be human are so dysfunctional. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say dysfunctional, they're just completely inera- inaccurate. You know, we're not cars that are broken down that need to be fixed. We're not, you're not a, me- you're not a mechanical machine. You're not a machine. You can't just like replace the catalytic converter and get back on the road. (laughs) Right. Or add more coolant and get back, you know, it's, you know, so, so we think like that though, we go, Oh, let's dump a little more serotonin into the system and the depression will go away or let's, you know, clear out the arteries and and then the tubes will function. Like that's the way medicine thinks. Which can can I say that's on some level as a, first step, like if you're dying of, of heart disease and have had a massive heart attack, like, I don't think we're suggesting that you shouldn't go and have your arteries cleaned out, but then what? Of course not. Exactly. And, and what happened before to get you there in the first place? Right. Right. So yeah, Western medicine is fantastic at surgery and keeping people alive and vaccinations and all that stuff that science has afforded, you know, in the past hundred years or so predominantly. But what it's not good at is understanding what we are as human beings and what we need to heal. And what the yoga tradition tells us is that essentially who you are, if you want to talk about like the three, you know, the three bodies doctrine, the shariras, like you come from this causal plane you know, you've come into your your subtle body comes from this causal plane and then your physical body is a manifestation of your subtle body. And, and you've come into this world through this direct pathway. This, it's a, it is a causal pathway. And to, in order to heal, we have to look at that cause, causality of what it means to be human. And if we don't, we're missing a huge piece. You know, there's a, a robust body of literature that's come out of places like Duke and Columbia and Emory that talks about the benefits of spirituality and health. And there's really powerful evidence that when you leverage your spirituality, you have better health outcomes, especially around things like depression, but everything else too, you know, all the chronic diseases. So one of the main researchers is Harold Koenig at Duke University. And, you know, that guy has just pumped out, pumped out research about why spirituality works. And it works in a very holistic way. You know, it's because of the satsang as much mm-hmm. as anything that well, you've got that, you know, good company. Yeah. I mean, so I have a little cringe moment when I hear the subtle body creates the physical manifestation of our body, because I think that plays into a little bit of ableism and a little bit of this, you know, we have to be beautiful. And if your subtle body is clean, you will oh. be beautiful. like, I, I want to make sure that our audience understands that's not what we're talking about. Right. So I'm not exactly sure of the critique. So you're saying that 
if your subtle body is perfect, then you'll be beautiful. <laughs> beautiful and healthy and perfect. That's the mis- misunderstanding. And, and also, I mean, even, yeah. even this idea that if you keep your immune system strong, you know, and you eat enough vitamin D and zinc, you're not going to get COVID like that kind oh, of yeah. thing. Like, I just want to make sure that what you're talking about is that your spiritual source, which comes in through the subtle body, your connection to whatever your idea of divinity or God or mother nature is that that is strengthening us and giving us on all layers of our human system, even our endocrine system, our nervous system, all of it, giving us strength and power and the ability to function in this human system. Is that what you're saying? I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. And I would add that, you know, the Karana Sharira, the causal body is, can, contains the seeds, you know, those, those, vas, those deep samskaric or vasanas, right? So the, so, so the causal body is drawing us into existence according to the tradition because we've got to have this physical body to play out those karmic impressions, if you like. Right. So, and if you don't want to believe, if you don't want to think about it that way, you can also just think about it as the genetic markers that then create our physical body and that may get epigenetically expressed. Right. So you can think about it that way if you don't want to go to the. the, And that's um, probably how healthcare would like, like us to speak of it. Sure, sure. They genetic genetic genetics are great. Just talk about genetics if you don't talk about the yoga philosophy term. But but what that means is that your physical body is the perfect vehicle for you to play out those karmic impressions. So your physical body is actually perfect, if you want to say it in those terms. Like it's exactly the the it's exactly the, the vehicle for you to be able to encounter whatever challenges you're going to encounter in this lifetime, overcome those challenges and move forward on your individual swadharma, your individual path. That doesn't say anything about this idea that there's some kind of physically perfect for that. There's that has nothing to do with beauty and health or any of those things, you know, it's merely a manifestation of where you've come from. And I think for a lot of people, especially in this profession that we're in, that's full of women, full of women scrutinizing their own and others' bodies, I think that is a a really hopeful and positive way to look at the philosophy and helps you to, and it helps me to be like, this is, this, this physical structure is okay with all its flaws, all its, you know, figure flaws and all its physiological challenges and all the disease processes that I've had to deal with, it, it helps me to be like, okay, this, these are things to overcome. And I think that that's, it parallels what's going on every day. Like this, this, this inner struggle that we have, the struggle of, you know, that, that we have towards becoming more of ourselves, if you like, and overcoming our challenges. And that, that happens on a psycho, spiritual, psychophysical level. I think that that struggle is paralleled in the struggle of the body of every day being assaulted by viruses and bacteria. I mean, your body's going through a Mahabharata every day, you know, every single day. And so your mind goes through those struggles too. And 
sometimes in the yoga world, we're like, oh, struggles are bad. No, struggles are like the source of your vitality and your existence and your life. And overcoming those obstacles is, or, and maybe not even overcoming them, but working through those obstacles is, that's the grist. I mean, that's the stuff that life is made out of. And that's how we grow and we shine. And, and you can, that is mirrored on the physical and the psychological level. So I would never want to give anybody the impression that their body is defective or like they brought on the disease themselves like that. I think those kind of ideas are very simplistic and hurtful and shaming. You know, I think it's more that when we have a bigger picture perspective that everything has a reason and that um, my life is exquisitely purposeful and meaningful, then it gives us an opportunity to become more of ourselves, if you like. So I'll just give kind of a very brief example of what I think you're talking about. That is that um, there was a point where I took on way more than my vessel could handle. And I ended up getting into very serious chronic pain and in healing my day-to-day reality of going up and down stairs, trying to walk the dogs, trying to get to work, trying to teach a yoga class in chronic pain, I had to really go back and look at those emotional imprints, those vasanas, and what drove me to take on so much work that I actually put myself in this position. And then that grist that you're talking about figuring out, okay, what do I do now? How do I back up? How do I reformat? How do I restructure and and start saying no to things and not have my ego identification wrapped up in my work. And, you know, like that's kind of what you're talking about when you say. Exactly. That's such a good example, I think. And how, and how did you overcome it? Like what were your key tools that helped you to come back to more homeostasis? For for me, it was very much lifestyle. It was that Dinacharya getting up in the morning, taking a bath with Epsom salts, going for a walk with my dogs, um, doing some asana pranayama in the morning, eating much better, taking breaks from my desk. So I wasn't sitting for four and six hours. Like now I get up every two hours and, and actually go for a 10 minute walk or something, or jump on my trampoline or get on my treadmill or lift some weights every couple of hours. Um, it meant that I had to de-link from so much productivity right. and so much people pleasing and, and really look at who am I and who do I want to be right. And go way into those mental, emotional, spiritual levels. Why am I here? Well, I'm here to experience joy. Okay. I, joy was nowhere to be found for many years while I was in chronic pain leading up to chronic pain. Right. Now my soul, you know, my sole measure is, am I having joy today? As I speak with Christine? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's so beautiful. And it's such a wonderful anecdote for so many women in our culture to hear, yeah. you know, I think so many women feel very similar pressure. I think men do too, but it's, it's, there's kind of a unique thing. I think, um, I don't know if it's unique, but a common pattern amongst women, particularly, you know, over the age of 50 or so that we're, we're pleasing everybody we're working. And I think the millennials have a little bit of a better approach than we did in our generation. Yeah. You know. And, you know, I think this, although we're going to broaden it out, it, we, we are talking about COVID and I think this plays into it because 
the people that I know that are experiencing COVID long hauler syndrome, this is exactly what they have to do too. They have to reformat their life, reformat their lifestyle, figure out how to have self-care, figure out how to not push themselves so hard. I mean, the symptoms are brain fog, fatigue, headaches, dizziness, shortness of breath, memory loss. You literally cannot function the way that you used to function. That's right. That's right. And, and it also speaks to the sickness in the culture, Mm. you know, that, that, that what you're talking about, that kind of Dinacharya lifestyle that's, that's human, you know, but the culture tells us produce, produce, earn money, you know, earn fame, get, you know, all of that. And we're going to be being pushed by those cultural messages all the time, consciously or unconsciously we're pushed by them. So when you're saying like, Oh, it's time to back up and be aware and look and do things differently. You're going against the tsunami of the culture and that in and of itself is a radical act. Yeah. It's a subversive act, if you like, even. Yeah, to say that, and this is what I think the millennials are doing, that that the people in the older generations just cannot get their heads around. It, you know, the, the mantra of people maybe 65 and older is work hard till you die. That's right. <laughs> and the millennials are like, let's have some joy while we're here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is a sub- subversive act. <laughs> and it it's, it's what it's, talked about in the Upanishads that we are here to experience that unending joy. Yes. And to find it, you know, we need a path. We need a a direction and a, and some kind of a a a telos too. Like, like that idea that there is a, this joy is possible. This bliss is possible for me. And in fact, it's our birthright, you know, according to the Upanishads. So I think that that's a, it's a beautiful way of looking at what's happening in the evolution of consciousness. Cause I think that's what's going on. You know, as these veils get lifted, there's just this awakening happening, uh, you know? So people talk about whatever this, this great reset, whatever that means. But I think what's, what's really happening and you can't stop it is the evolution of consciousness. And because that's the nature of consciousness, the Dharma of consciousness is to expand. Mm-hmm. And so I love what I see with a lot of the young people that there is this this strong desire to expand and politics has to change and the way we do healthcare has to change like these these major societal institutions really need massive overhauls i was talking to marlisa sullivan about the the grief and the loss of basically things not being the way they were the way that we planned that they would be. And even like our jobs as yoga therapists and, and how things are marching forward. And we're still kind of like, but, but wait a minute, I wasn't done with that, that part yet. And and she had this really beautiful idea that eudaimonia is a place where each thing, each person, each situation has flourished to the point where it's reached its maximum potential in that setting. And now it's time to move on. And that instead of thinking about grief and loss over our political system, our healthcare system, our, all of it, you know, our personal loss that we've all experienced, well, maybe things had come to their fullest expression of their potential and, and we should 
be happy for that and, and embrace what you're saying, this expansion of consciousness, this moving forward in a very new way to have our next moment of eudaimonia. What do you think of that? I think that's beautiful. And I think that, you know, as yoga therapists, like that's what we, that's what's so exciting about this work is we get Mm -hmm. to help people to reframe, you know, the way that they're looking at these challenges and see them as opportunities. And I, I think that, I think it's beautiful. I mean, I think that's, that's the direction that we can possibly go in. And I think yoga therapy has so much to offer uh, this conversation and this transition. And I would also add the Gen Zers, which I teach at the university, they're totally into this. They're, they're like, this is how they grew up. This is their expectation, right? So I think a lot of us who are above 50, instead of complaining about the Gen Zers and the, you know, we should be looking at them for, for leadership. I always say we each need a mentor under 30. (laughs) Yeah, that's so great. I have a couple including my 17 year old son who it just blows my mind what he, you know, how he looks at the world is so beautiful, you know, and he has so much hope and so much, there's so many possibilities on the other side is, you know, there's a lot of drug use in that group. There's a lot of, lot of marijuana use. And I think, and not that marijuana use is bad. Like it's good for older people, (laughs) not so good for people with chronic conditions, not so good for the developing brain of uh, adolescent boys, but the- So Christine, I have to interrupt. So it's good for you, but not your son. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about that later, Amy. (laughs) That'll be the after the show. (laughs) I do use CBD oil to sleep. But anyway, my, um, my son, I think that's one, one problem is that a lot of kids, it, the world is really overwhelming right now and not just kids, but kids definitely, but a lot of people are not understanding how to cope with this overwhelming what's going on because it's so overwhelming. I mean, everything is shifting and, uh, lots of people are struggling financially and relationally. And, uh, we do need to look to some, we, we need some holistic solutions. One thing that drives some of the research around yoga is just that it's accessible, pretty cheap and easy to, you know, you can learn some yoga pretty easily. Like it's, and you could do it in groups, small groups, you know, so there's, so it's cost-effective. Like, I think that's one of the things that's driving some of the wonderful research that's emerging. And, uh, as that research continues, I'm so grateful. Like that when I think about the yoga world, my favorite people in the yoga world are the researchers. I'm just like, I love you because they're giving us the rationale for what we're doing. And, and, yeah. you know, I have used so much research in explaining what I do and I, I will continue to do that. And it's, it's a, a really exciting time for yoga research, I think. It is. And I love watching your Instagram feed because you're always, it's like you're on the cutting edge of this kind of neuroscience yoga bridge that so many of us are just fascinated by. So can, can we talk a little bit about your interest in that? And, and if you want to tie that into the new paradigm of the healthcare system, go for it, but tell us about, you know, what it is about the neurological system and yoga and how this can help heal us. Well, I have to say the, the first 
bit that I want to explain is like my background is largely writing and I was a reporter for a newspaper for a while and like I have a master's degree in literature like that that was always my interest was always in communication right and when I started teaching yoga at the Mountain Area Health Education Center which is like the premier uh, health education center for healthcare professionals in the Western part of North Carolina and kind of in the whole state, actually, because the Western part of North Carolina is the most progressive part of the state. Anyway, but I started teaching yoga to behavioral health professionals, therapists and and addiction professionals and uh, all sorts of other people were OTs, PTs, docs, um, nurses. And, And when they started coming to my classes, I remember this was like 12 or 13 years ago. And after one of my courses on, it was just a one day thing about yoga for reducing depressive symptoms, right? I don't love yoga for depression. I don't love saying that, but (laughs) reducing depressive symptoms. So anyway, I taught this workshop and at the end, I was just like, you know how you are after teaching a workshop. You're like, oh, I love yoga and people are listening and they're interested. I'm so happy. And I had this like moment of kind of like a little you know, the little floaty bubble moment that you get after teaching a workshop. And a woman came up to it and she burst my bubble and she said, you know, I came here because I thought you were going to talk about the neuroscience of depression and how yoga helps the neuroscience. And I was like, I never thought about it. <laughs> this was like, like I said, 12 or 13 years ago. So, um, so the brain is like, Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive, as Rick Hansen likes to say. And so all the people going, oh, we feel so good. We love yoga. just slipped right off like a fried egg off my Teflon pan. But the thing that stuck was this woman's comment. And I was like, and just a couple of weeks earlier, one of my students had handed me Rick Hansen's book. That was probably, yeah. 20, What's the name of that 2009. book? Uh, it's called Buddha's Brain. Mm. It was the first book I ever read on the intersection between, and it's, it's, you know, it's good, but it's, it's limited, of course, you know, but it's, it's well, and we've book. come a, a long way in the last 12 to 13 years. We've I mean. come a long way. That's exactly right. So, but anyway, it was a really good starter primer for me to go like, oh, there's this brain stuff going on when you do these practice, these contemplative practices. And I want to find out more about it. So I just started getting my hands on anything I could read, uh, lots of books, uh, but uh, books, but also um, lots of uh, articles, you know, and the articles were starting to come out. And it was 2014 when Tim Gard's article came out, which is called The Potential Regulatory Mechanisms of Yoga for Mental Health, something like mm-hmm. that, Potential Neuroregulatory Mechanisms. It was around that time, it was around 2014, and that was written by a, a consortium of researchers from the Kripalu, they called themselves the Kripalu Consortium of Researchers. And then they started, so they started looking, they started breaking down, like what is going on when you do yamas and niyamas, when you, you know, practice, practice asanas, pranayama meditation. And I read that article probably like 50 times <laughs> and took copious notes and really started to try and figure it out. And then I have a friend who is a physician and he's disabled because of some health uh, condition. So he had some time on his hands and I was like, you got to help me. And he started, uh, his name is Charles Staub. He started to help me think through the literature and start to understand and give me things to read. And then I met another guy at a um, conference, um, Dr. Suchari Katyal, who's a neuro neuroscientist, neuropsychologist. And he's actually in the Netherlands now. So he started to 
helped me as well. Um, so I've had this, like, I've had great mentors along the way for somebody coming from a non-science background. So I think of myself now as like a science writer or a science mm-hmm. interpreter. Like that's the way that I think about it. Like I can take these ideas and if I'm not quite sure about them, I can run them by folks who are, <laughs> and then I can parlay them into language that uh, is accessible for yoga professionals. And that was really my mission. You know, that became my mission. And so what's so important about it? You can, you can teach yoga for the rest of your life and say yoga is relaxing and it's good for you, you know, or yoga is a way of moving and that's healthy. We all know that there's been research on that since, you know, the sixties. So like there's, you can say those things. And if that's fine for you, then great. Like if you don't need that sort of, you know, extra help, then that's great. But what I found is that even non-scientists want to know what's going on in their brain with yoga and not in a really complicated way, just in a simple way. Like for example, yoga helps to shrink the gray matter in the amygdala, which is one of the stress response parts of the stress response system. It's looking out for danger. And so we know that when there's like little less gray matter and the not as clumped up that the amygdala is not going to be as reactive. And so you'll have easier time coming back to homeostasis after a stressor. Like that's not that complicated to be able to talk about that. And, and when I started to be able to say that, then I could talk to healthcare professionals and be like, you should send people to me because I can help them. And here's why. And my classes just went nuts too. I started having so many more people in my classes. It was all before COVID, of course lots of the more healthcare professionals <laughs> coming because they were like, this woman is explaining to me in my language why this stuff is good for me. The other piece that's really important in my, from my perspective is we're not just looking at yoga in the same, it's not like yoga and exercise are the same thing. They're not. And to tease that out a little bit neurobiologically, I think is there's some then, there's some crossover, but I think it's really important to understand that the slow mindful part of asana practice actually has different benefits than the fast fitness part of asana practice. So I'm really to help people to try and help people understand that because you can get fast fitness anywhere, YouTube, whatever, but slow, mindful, interoceptive building, brain changing stuff. Like that's not as common and especially taught by folks who understand sequencing and who understand the nervous system. And you and I come from a similar, similar, well, we come from the same lineage Although I've, I, I'm sure you too, I mean, I'm informed by many different, um, uh, many different lineages of yoga, but one of the, my primary lineages is through Deskachar and, you know, he was a nervous system yogi. I don't know if he would ever call it that, but that's exactly what he was doing was, right. was teaching how to regulate the autonomic nervous system. And so I call myself a nervous system yoga teacher. I am not your hamstring stretching yoga teacher. I'm your nervous system yoga teacher and making that distinction I think can be really helpful when you're trying to uh, connect, not just to students, but healthcare professionals. You know, I have a friend named Laura Schmalzel, who is a neuroscientist, neuropsychologist. And several years ago, we both thought that we had coined this very unique term for what it is we do around nervous system regulation and nervous system awareness. And we, we came up with MBA, which is slow movement, focus on breath and mental attention that those, and she's actually done research studies to try to tease these out, like which one is actually having 
the most powerful effect on the nervous system. And in her study, she found that it's the breath, right? All three are working together to reformat us. But if you had to choose one, it would be the breath. Now, I, I think that's pretty interesting because the breath and the nervous system are, are linked, right? That's right. That's the main line into the nervous system is the breath. You know, there's a couple of autonomic processes human beings can tr- control blinking and the breath, probably a couple of other little things, but, but the breath is the main line into the autonomic nervous system. And so getting, that's always my goal is to get people there. They don't always start there, but that's, you know, it's my goal to get it. I really do appreciate Laura's work and uh, the way that I like to um, conceptualize it and talk about it is like, yeah, we know the breath is this thing that regulates the nervous system. Then when you add a movement, you know, like a lateral bend on an inhale is going to catalyze that uh, Brahmana effect or that uplift, upregulating, uplifting effect. So I like to talk about like catalyze it with movement and then catalyze it again with intention. So those three things are, are key, you know, those three, the mind, the breath and the movement in terms of asana. But I think it's also really important to not get reductive because asana, right. as we know, is just one of the aspects of the system. And, and going back to what you've talked about, the yamas and the niyamas, how do we, how do we use those personal disciplines and those social disciplines to actually stay more regulated? I, I've found that those are actually m- more important in laying the foundation for a strong nervous system and a flexible nervous system, because I don't get myself into all these situations where I'm feeling reactive and I need an hour of asana to, to recover from the mess I just got myself into with my social disciplines, <laughs> that email I sent. <laughs> the Facebook post I commented on. Exactly. <laughs> um, yes, I, I was doing that last night. I was like, somebody had asked for pictures of Kali and I was like, I'm going to put a picture of the Rolling Stones sticking their tie. I was like, no, stop. Don't, don't do these things. So <laughs> you got to control yourself. Um, like, you know, that makes me laugh, but, but I want to, but it's exactly what you're saying. And I, the way that I talk about it and think about it is that Patanjali very much understood that the foundation of mental health and nervous system regulation was yamas and yamas. That's why they're the first two limbs. Like there's, there's no doubt in my mind that he understood them as self-regulating practices. They're practices. They're not just things that happen because you practice. Although some people say that it's okay. I don't mind if they say that, but I think they're practices. I think they're practices that we're, we operationalize within us, within ourselves, you know, well, um, it, it goes back, words. it goes back to those vasanas. You know, why am I triggered by this? Why am I having this reaction that I have to jump on somebody on Facebook? Why can't I just let that go on by? Right. There's <laughs> something in post the Rolling Stones tongue. <laughs> there's something in me that is being, triggered that I can actually not comment on Facebook, but I could go breathe and meditate and reflect on for myself. Right. Yeah. And you think about all the problems that social media have caused because of that reactivity and it sort of leverages the, that reactivity and human beings to, you know, be more, more buzz and more, you know, um, do more social media and get more addicted to it. So yeah, it is. A, again, that's another revolutionary act. It's like, I'm not going to post that. I'm going to sit back. I always think, what would my husband do? Because he's a psychotherapist and, and I'll say stuff like that to him and he'll be like, why would you want to comment on that? 
And she won't even, she won't even say don't. It just is like, but why would, why do you want to do that? Like, what's that impulse about? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> I've saved so much money by marrying a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to this idea of these potentially eight limbs of yoga from the yamas, the niyamas, the asana, the pranayama, the pratyahara, the dharana, dhyanam, samadhi, all these eight limbs. Can we get back to why they're so revolutionary in terms of our healthcare system? And what, you know, part of me says, will healthcare really buy into that? Because, but then there's a part of me that says, look, they bought into mindfulness. They bought into Buddhism with John Kabat-Zinn. So why not? Right. Yeah. That's a really good question. So, so let me see if I'm getting this right. So you're asking like, what is it about the eight limbs that can be revolutionary for the healthcare system? Or, you know, at the be- I guess I'm, I'm trying to get back to your point at the beginning about your feeling like these systems are no longer working and that we have yeah. as yoga therapists, a really great solution and yoga practitioners, we have a, a solution to, to jump into the new paradigm. Right. And I'm trying to figure out what it is that you think we have that's going to integrate or transform the healthcare system. Well, I think that's a really good question. And I think the, the um, first thing to go to, the first thing I always go to is ontology. Like, what are we as human beings? And I think that's the first thing that we have to offer. And it's mm-hmm. kind of, we touched on it before. It's like Western medicine is still very much steeped in scientific materialism. And not even like, it hasn't even really touched on quantum theory yet. Although there's some diagnostic tools they use that use quantum mechanics they're in radiology and some other parts of um, medicine but they they haven't transferred that into the into the treatment yet that's not and I think it's coming because I think it's coming because of the work of the biofields but and the research on the biofields but anyway the 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 main thing is like what what yoga has to offer is like what are we as human beings and if we start to understand human beings, in a more expansive way than the scientific materialistic model or the biomedical model that says like, you're a car that's broken, put more fluids in or fix this part or whatever. Uh, um, I think that in and of itself is a huge paradigm shift for the Western medical world. And they try and do it like the behavioral health people are kind of into it. They have this thing called biopsychosocial assessment. So like it's there in parts of the healthcare system. It's starting to kind of emerge, but then it's still kind of default to like, okay, well, we're trying to treat somebody with addiction. So we'll look at their biopsychosocial, but then we'll just give them this pill that'll help them not crave it. You know, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with medication assisted uh, recovery, but it's not getting to the underlying issue, which is what's really causing the problem. And to get to the cause of the problem, you have to think about what the cause of human beings are. So what's the cause? So that just takes us back to that idea of like, we have to have much more holistic perspectives. Okay, so that's the first piece. And then on top of that, uh, you know, I wrote, I wrote a couple of articles for, for IAYT a couple of years ago about using yoga philosophy to look at what is being called for in medicine right now. So there are people that are on the forefront of Western medicine. And it was particularly Don Berwick with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. And what they're saying is like, we have to reduce costs. We have to have much more of a patient-centered approach. And we have to look at populations, not just individuals. They called it the triple aim, right? 
And so, yeah, yoga is great for all of those things. I mean, you can work with populations, you can work with groups of people, very low cost. Um, it's a very affordable modality. And that sometimes gets, people get so kind of twisted and say like, oh, a yoga class costs $20. No, a yoga teacher you can hire for $75 to come in for an hour. Hopefully you're paying them a hundred, but you can hire them for that kind of, uh, you know, a, a decent yoga teacher. And uh, then you've got an hour of this nervous system regulating yoga that somebody can participate. And the research shows like even two sessions, two 30 minute sessions twice a week starts making neuroplastic changes. Right. So, you know, so, I mean, it is quite affordable, I think. So I think that those things, I think we have that to offer to the Western community. And then the other piece that we have to offer to the Western medical community is uh, this uh, systematic approach, this Dinacharya kind of approach to life, you know, that there, there is a possibility, even, even if you're the busiest person in the world, you're working 10 hour days, you can still have, or 12 hour days, you can still have uh, some moments to practice mindfulness. You can have the whole day to practice yamas and niyamas you can spend five or 10 minutes in the morning and the evening reflecting and practicing mantra. You can do a couple of asanas here and there. You can make sure that you're eating well, even on a budget, people can eat well, maybe not perfectly, but you know, making some attempts in that direction. And then satsang. And then this idea of, um, of supportive community is so critical for the you know, ventral vagal, if you like, uh, potential of human being. So, I, I mean, I think like we have this, we have a system to offer the Western medical community as well. And we have a way to critique their approach to what human beings are. And that needs to be critiqued because scientific materialism and biomedical model are still the dominant forces in Western medicine. And that stuff has to be dismantled. And it has to be, if, if it was effective, we wouldn't be spending 3.6 or I think it's $3.9 trillion on healthcare every year. If it worked, why, why do we spend so much money on healthcare? Because we're so stuck in these silos of thinking and this, these reductive mechanistic dominating models that are um, you know, pretty insufficient. They're good at making money, but they're not very good at making people healthy. Well, well that's what I was going to ask you. I'm going to play the devil's advocate do they even care that we're getting healthy if they're making money? Like what incentive does Western medical? And, you know, I go to the doctor for my yearly checkups. I do my EKGs. I mean, this is not a rip on them, but what incentive do they have to make this paradigm shift? I know there's some pretty big healthcare companies out there. One of the largest ones in the world that's really looking into can we as a healthcare system shift towards this, right? So the, they're thinking about it, but what yeah, incentive inevitable. do they have? What? I think it's inevitable, you know, with or without incentives. I think it's inevitable because you can't stop the, tr- you know, the freight train of consciousness. <laughs> you just can't stop it, you know. But what incentives do they have? Okay, so most doctors want patients to get better. That there's, I don't have any problem with the doctors. They're, they're, I think they're trained in a slightly too narrow a way, but, but, you know, I think most doctors are in it, not just for the financial rewards. Now, when you're looking at insurance companies, that's a whole different beast and it's a really ugly one right now. Again, that is perpetuated by this evolutionary need for 
grabbing stuff, you know. Um, and that maybe is going to be something that has, it's going to be a bloody battle to take it down, but it, it has to come down eventually. You know, it's not effective. My, my husband went to the cardiologist the other day because he has a congenital bicuspid aorta and he has to get it checked up every couple of years. And the cardiologist said, okay, you need an EG. Yeah. And that's going to cost $3,000 um, for your insurance. And he, my husband was like, wow, I have really bad insurance. So I probably won't use it. And he said, oh, okay, it'll be 600. <laughs> it's just like, and they're on, and they're, like, they are honest about the grip, about the um, grift. Like they're honest about the fact that it's such a dysfunctional money grabbing system, you know? So, so I think that, you know, that yes, there, there are these, there are p pieces of the healthcare system that are not interested in people getting better, but I don't think that's the entire conversation. I think that much more, there are many more people in the healthcare world that are looking for, solutions and once the once people start presenting those solutions and your students go to their doctors and say i'm so much better because i've been to amy's classes and i'm feeling so much better now um that that stuff the doctors want that out there you know so yeah, I agree incentive yeah the incentive is an altruistic one but i'm okay with believing in the um in the power of the human spirit to overcome that greed and that and the uh, deception and corruption i'm I, you know, I'm an incorrigible optimist in that way. Like we're going in that direction, I, I believe. And yeah, and sometimes people have to be, and companies have to be subdued in that process. And and I think that will happen as a course of the, you know, you see what's going on out there right now. And people are grumbling when they got this information about Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk not paying taxes and, you know, have accumulated more wealth than the entire middle class. Like these things are, there is no parity in that. And people aren't going to put up with that stuff. Um, I don't think, I think, I think the, I think the culture is, um, you know, the future of the culture is quite bright. Wow. I, I am so happy to hear you say that. And I feel like you're on the cutting edge of consciousness to, to really trust that the power of consciousness is going to help us get through. I say the next eight years, if you look at Vedic astrology, like we got some rough times coming up, like, For sure. but that light is going to stay present yeah. throughout these dark times that we're probably going to have right. to go through as mm, huge systems that we've all put our eggs in these baskets get crushed. Right. I think they will. And it's like a, the pain of the birthing process. You can think about it that way. I don't mean to come across as too ubi new agey, but I, I totally agree with you. The force of light is thousands of times stronger than the force of darkness, but that doesn't, but you can't have the light without the darkness, you know, yeah. so the darkness is revealed and it's always going to be there. And it gives us, again, it gives us something to work uh, you know, work through, it gives us stuff to work through. And the main thing I think for folks, if they take away anything from this conversation is, you know, hope lives in the heart chakra, Asha. It's one of the petals of the heart chakra. That's where hope lives. And you got to keep that thing fired up and strong. You know, that's the, like keeping that strong for yourself, for your family, for your students. Um, it's really that I don't even see that as being a choice. You know, it's just a, a directive, if you like, like you keep filling your heart with that light and keep going back to your own personal wellspring to drink from those waters of rejuvenation and hope and 
a connection and relationship and um, the strength that you draw from your higher self, that that's what, that's what is going to move us for. That's what's going to keep you safe. And, and in that place of Santosh during the, you know, during these difficult times that we're in the middle of. And uh, on the other side of it, there is so much strength and beauty. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to kind of end our conversation, but I'd love for you to tell us what kind of programs do you have coming up? How can we be in touch with you? What are you excited about? (laughs) Okay, well, just quickly, my website is subtleyoga.com. The best email to reach me at is support at subtleyoga.com. And I do have quite a few things going on right now. I have many online courses, uh, the Yoga and Neuroscience Connection. I also have a course called the Neuroscience and Psychology of the Chakras. And that just came out recently. And um, several other online courses that you're welcome to look at on my website. I also have some winter programs happening January 15th. I'll be teaching a one-day workshop, live workshop online. That's called uh, the Neuroscience of Better Sleep, of Yoga and Mm -hmm. Better Sleep. Yeah. And then because insomnia is a huge problem right now for so many people. And then February 26th and 27th, I have my biannual subtle yoga retreat for the subtle yoga community. And that is going to be about the neuroscience for, of yoga for anxiety and depression, for reducing anxiety and depression, not increasing them. And, and just <laughs> because people will be listening to this podcast long-term, we're talking January okay. and February of 2022. Yes, in 2022. Thank you. And, and then what's the other thing I wanted to mention? Oh, and then on Facebook, I have a group called the Subtle Yoga Community and anybody is welcome to join that. And people ask questions over there and have really great conversations. And um, so you're welcome to welcome to and, join us. And what is well. your handle on IG? Cause I see you on Instagram every day too. Uh, yeah, I'm not on there, but my- You're not? Is. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, wait a minute. I, I swear I've seen you on there. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. It's at Subtle Yoga. I mean, my, my team just takes stuff I write and puts it on there. So okay. I write a lot. I blog just about every week and try to blog about neuroscience, yoga, subtle body stuff, healthcare. I mean, just the whole, all the stuff I'm interested and, in. And your newsletters are so informative. You give so oh, much you. in your newsletters. So- if you go to Christine's website, subtleyoga.com, you might want to sign up for her newsletter. That would be nice. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. It's so fun Thank to talk you. to you. It was wonderful to talk to you. And we didn't really get into COVID, but that's okay. I think sometimes <laughs> the, universe, the universe just decides like, no, we have a different message for you ladies to give today. So just follow the directive. That's what well, we do. I hope. I I hope that it's helpful for folks, uh, just, you know, and, and yeah, there's so many great resources out there from you, from IYT, trying to share with folks how to help people with, with long COVID. And certainly it's a, I'll offer a little more around that in the show summary in a couple of minutes, just so we do, do hit the topic that we said we would talk about. So, (laughs) all right, we'll have a wonderful day and we will talk soon. Thanks, Amy. It's good to see you. Good to see Take you care. Too. Take care. That was a fascinating talk with Christine. And I'm really thinking about, well, what are the takeaways from this? 
what did I get out of this hour that will help me as a yoga therapist move into my profession and, and have success in my profession? And I think one of the things that I came away from after listening to Christine is this idea of holistic lifestyle management and how yoga and yoga therapy provides a blueprint for that holistic lifestyle management. Everything from the yamas, which are the social disciplines. How do I interact with other people? How do I not harm myself? How do I not harm them? How do I tell the truth? How do I not grasp and, and take from people? How do I live in moderation? And, and then the personal disciplines, right? That this idea of dinacharya or daily routines for how do I take care of myself? How can I keep my body and my mind and my spirit feeling a little bit more light-filled? So just looking at just those first two limbs, even if not even going into the postures and the breathing and the meditation and all of that, the withdrawal of the senses, just really understanding that we as yoga practitioners have a very precious gift to share in terms of holistic lifestyle management, and that this is what people are going to need in the future. As she repeated many times, it's very easy to implement. It's very inexpensive. The results of how it affects our nervous system and our mental health are already proven through science and research. There's no reason the healthcare system won't say yes if we come and we present it in a way and in a language that, that works for them. So you each, your job is to figure out how to connect with mental health care environments or hospitals or wherever it is you want to do your work and present to them these beautiful offerings that you have in a language that they can understand. And you can see that Christine has mainly done that through the door of neuroscience. She has studied neuroscience to be able to talk that language because she knows that the people who want to work with her, that's how they want to hear it. Even though she's very steeped in the ancient teachings and the ancient texts, and she's been doing this for decades and decades from the yoga perspective, she's actually found a different doorway in and, and been very successful at that, especially in working with healthcare workers, which is another takeaway. As the current healthcare system continues to struggle because of things like COVID-19 and all of the other underlying health conditions that may have been aggravated by that, I can only imagine that our healthcare workers are going to become more and more crushed under the weight of the system. It's, it's not humanly possible. So who's going to be there to help not just pick them up, but help them stay connected to that light within themselves and then go back into the system and transform it into something new. That's one of the things we talked about today is that as systems deplode, uh, if that's a word, as they collapse, well, there is something that arises from that too. And I, I mentioned this in a conversation I was having with Marlisa Sullivan that maybe things have reached their fullest potential, their eudaimoniac potential, and it's okay that they 
start to go away <laughs> because something new is coming. A, a new potential is arising that needs to be fulfilled. And I think my question for you as yoga therapists and yoga practitioners is, what role do you want to play in that new potential? How are you going to position yourself? How are you going to get your mind into this futuristic state? I mean, I said this before, and I know it sounds strange, but healthcare is going towards holograms where the doctor or you will literally be as a hologram in the room together discussing your needs. Yoga therapy will be done with holograms at some point in the next 10 to 20 years. Again, that's very futuristic, but we know that virtual reality is where everything is heading, VR. That's where they're taking us. So if nothing else, if you get nothing else from this podcast, open your mind to new possibilities and new ways of thinking about how you might do your work and how you might be of service to the world. So I'm just going to leave it right there. I know that was a really big, oh my God, what the hell is she talking about moment? But I'd love for you to contemplate doing yoga therapy in virtual reality with holograms, because I'm telling you right now, this is the future of medicine. It's going to happen, whether you want to get on board or not, maybe a few years off, but unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your mindset, these are the types of things we're going to have to get our, our head around to move forward in the new reality that is emerging. So anyway, this was a very strange episode. It's like I'm out of Star Trek, I know. <laughs> Hang in there and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Yoga Therapy Hour with Amy Wheeler podcast. Another nonprofit organization that we like to support through this podcast is the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram in Chennai, India. They are the source for the teachings of the Optimal State Yoga Therapy School, and we are so grateful. The KYM's Mitra Division offers free yoga therapy training to a large number of socially and economically underprivileged children and women in Chennai. Feel free to support them through the link listed below on Red Circle. And we also have details on our website, which is also listed below. Please also note that we have recently developed a mental health tracking mobile app based on yogic and Ayurvedic principles. The app helps practitioners to observe their mental habits and patterns throughout the different times of day, the seasons of the year, and the stages of life. This is a useful tool for healthcare providers, yoga teachers, yoga therapists, and all of the people that they serve. Check it out on the App Store. It's called the Optimal State App. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria and Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.